The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. How are you, folks? On this episode of the Paul Leslie Hour, we're joined by Glenn Kreitzer. He's a jazz band leader, guitarist, a songwriter. In addition to performing some of the classic standards from the 30s and 40s, he writes in that idiom himself. He's a recording artist. He's got this new album out. It's Ain't It Grand. Thank you so much for making the time to talk to us. Well, thanks for having me on the show, Paul. What kind of name is Kreutzer? Uh, it is sort of an Americanization of Kreutzer. Uh, at least that's what we think. Uh, when my, my family came over, uh, which was a couple hundred years ago, that, that part of the family... We think the German Kreutzer sort of got uh, Americanized into Kreutzer somehow. Hmm. So what is it about this style of music, this era of music, that you like so much? Well, you know, the way I got into this was I, um, when I was in college, I was in college in the late 90s, uh, early 2000s, and that was right around the time that there was this neo-swing boom that was happening. You know, it was in popular culture, the Gap commercial, and a lot of films were doing... Music that was, you know, sort of swing. Some some of it was swing and some of it was more like ska and punk and rockabilly. But there was the scene. And I got into that in college. And from there, I started discovering the older music, the the big band music. And I, I just really fell in love with it. And so, you know, the, the further back I dug and the more... Uh, the more sort of the, the old school artists I discovered, I, I just really uh, just kind of fell in for this music. Do you think people would be surprised at how many younger people are interested in this kind of music? I think so. You know, there's a pretty considerable scene. After the, the neo-swing kind of died out, um, there were those of us who were left who were who were really hardcore into the, the dancing and into the music. And, and, you know, we all started kind of digging backwards and finding the old stuff. And it was started out as a really small scene. We would have to travel a lot um, in order to just, you know, find other people to dance with uh, to, to fill a room. Uh, unless you were in, you know, in LA or in New York or something like that. But over the years, I mean, the scene has gotten really, really huge. I mean, there, there are thousands of swing dancers in Korea who love dancing to old jazz. I mean, who, who, who would have thought that, you know, Seoul would have a huge swing scene? Uh, and, and, you know, pretty much anywhere in the world that you go, there's this, this huge dance scene, uh, in most major cities. So I think there's a real resurgence happening. And I'm glad it hasn't gotten quite as big as the neo-swing movement because I think when you get bubbles like that where it really hits pop culture, then they tend to burst. But when you have a really cool just kind of um, underground scene happening, I think that it, um, you know, it really can grow and flourish. Are there challenges when it comes to just the business aspect or the promotion aspect of promoting or uh, getting the word out about this type of music in today's kind of climate. Yeah, I think there are. I mean, you know, in in any climate, running a big band is difficult. I mean, it was it was difficult in the '30s and in the '40s, and I mean, even though some of those those band leaders made a lot of money, it still wasn't easy for for a band to make uh you know good money because just it's just a lot of people to pay when you have a 17 piece band. Um, so you really have to have a certain level of, of people willing to come out to your shows in order to make that happen. 
but then it's it's not just a question of can we do one show and get people to come out because that doesn't build a big band, you know, and especially if you think of, you know, small bands and things like that. You know, it's it's much easier in terms of like uh, how the music is built, whereas with a big band, you you really you want to rehearse stuff, you want to build a sound as a group. So yes, having you know building a, a base of people that are really interested, you know, which I think we've we've been fortunate to be able to do in New York and and continue to do, is definitely a a challenge to the business. I do think you know social media is is actually a big help because people who are interested in this kind of thing from all around the world can essentially, you know, have a, an online community and, you know, people from all over the world can support, um, you know, a Kickstarter like mine. People from all over the world can, you know, discover swing music and dancing through YouTube and and, and stuff like that. So, you know, there's, there's always going to be challenges, but I, I think it's as good a time as any to do it. Who would you say your biggest influences are? Hmm. Well... Uh, as a guitarist, I think uh, Eddie Lang and Charlie Christian are probably the big two. You know, Charlie on electric guitar, uh, Eddie on acoustic guitar, more for the twenty stuff. And of course, I think you know if you play the guitar, uh, Freddie Green is an influence on you. Um, you know, no matter what, uh, you know your your rhythm guitar playing. Uh, as a band leader, you know it's a lot of the old band leaders and the Rangers. I mean, Duke, of course, I think is a big inspiration for me because he was. You know, Duke's band was marketed very differently and was run very differently than a lot of the other bands. Um, you know, you know, Basie or uh, um, or Artie Shaw or Benny Goodman or any of those guys. You know, they might write an arrangement every now and then for their band, but largely they were relying on uh, on other arrangers. Where Duke was, you know, largely doing the writing and arranging for his band. And uh, you know, even though we play the repertory stuff, we play the classic stuff. You know, one of my big focuses is on writing, and so I, I think Duke is a a big inspiration because of that. Um, I think the uh, Lunsford band, just in terms of their um, the tightness of that band and the way that they uh, the polish that they had, was was really impressive to me. So I think those are probably two of my biggest band leader influences. You know, as you just mentioned, you're a writer of songs. I'm curious, are you more moved? Are you more touched by the melody or the words? I think they kind of come for me, you know, when I'm writing a song that has lyrics, they kind of often come together. You know, I'll get a little piece of a phrase of something and then I'll think of a word, words that make sense there that kind of, it just sort of develops all at once. I mean, sometimes, you know, all the words come first and sometimes the tune completely comes first, but usually it's a, it's a mix of the two of them. And I kind of like being in that position, sort of like Cole Porter was, where I'm I'm writing words and music, because I feel like uh, I think it would be weird to write, you know, music and then hand it off to somebody and say, "All right, stick some lyrics to this." I could imagine working in that way. <laughs> would you ever do an, a, a collaborative song writing album? I would. You know, I, I if it was the right lyricist, I would do it. But, you know, with my stuff, my goal with everything is to, to write things that are relevant to people's lives, but that still feel like they could quintessentially have come from the 30s or the 40s or the 20s, you know. So if there was another lyricist that, that came to me and said, look, I've got these great lyrics or I write in this style and, and I thought it, thought they were really, really great, you know, that's something I might consider doing. But obviously, you know, 
when you're working with another co-writer, it complicates the financials of things. It complicates the whole recording process, you know, and just as far as who's picking up the tab for what and, and all kinds of things like that. So, yeah, I would do it, but it would have to make sense business-wise. It would have to make sense creative-wise. Uh, creative and uh, so far, I haven't bumped into anybody yet that really does it for me in that way, I guess. Do you happen to have a guitar handy? Oh, I, I could grab one. <laughs> That'd be great. All right, I have returned with a guitar. <laughs> I was hoping for our listeners that you might present to them one of your melodies. Play a song of yours. Sure, let's see here. I think I'm going to do a, an older song here for you. This is a nice uh, slow blues that we recorded on my second album. And then uh, we did another recording again uh, more recently as a, a bonus track. This is called New Year Blues. You said to me, now that you're sorry And like a fool, I think it's true Well, it's the same old song With another year gone Giving me those old New Year blues well, I'm so blue and broken-hearted Cause you and I were through before we started I guess it's out with the old man And him with the new Giving me those old New Year blues Your gentle whisper Foreshadowed kisses Until we had to say goodnight You held me in your arms But the moment I was gone You gave away that kiss That was mine, oh mine And now you tell me You still want me But you ain't acting like you do Well, you can say it 700 times But until you prove it's true I'll be singing those old New Year blues I guess it's how with the old man And him with the new Giving me those old New Year blues. Thank you. New Year blues. Wow, I haven't done that one in a while. I'm glad you did it. That was great. Thank you. All right. We appreciate it a lot. Tell us about this album. That you've got out, sure. the, the latest. Mm -hmm. 
Well, the newest album is called Ain't It Grand, and that is a double album of uh, music that is uh, it's about half original and half classics. So um, what I wanted to do with this, you know, it's, it's with the full big band, and the idea was I wanted to to kind of put my originals side by side with with a bunch of classic tunes, and you know, some of the classics are uh, you know war horses and things that you know I think everybody recognizes some of the the greatest hits, and other ones are you know kind of lesser known gems, um, you know, things that maybe the recording quality of and the original isn't very good, and and we could make a nice recording of. Uh, you know, with a better, better quality of, of that arrangement or something like that. So, um, yeah, so it's, it was a pretty big project, you know, 30 songs and, uh, uh, it just came out, uh, about three weeks ago. You've had a number of journalists who've said very flattering things about your work. You've gotten some critical acclaim and I'm sure there have been people at your shows who've gone up to you and they've shared what your music meant to them. I'd be curious to know, what is the greatest compliment that you've ever received as an artist? Oh, man. I, you know, there have been a really lo- a lot of things that, man, there's, there's, there's really a lot. I, I mean, I, I'll tell you, you know, I can, I can give you a quote from somebody, but, you know, I, I, you know, a, a while back, you know, I, Lauren Schoenberg, who of course worked with Benny Goodman in the, in the, um, the eighties and in the seventies, um, you know, made a comment about something on Facebook and, and, and said that I was a keeper of the, the flame for this music. And that obviously is really meaningful coming from somebody who really kind of had that passed down to him through Benny. But I think really for me, the biggest compliment is to, to really move people, like to move the people on the dance floor. Like if they're dancing, if they're in the moment with me, and if the listeners are in that moment, like I can see that, I can feel that energy. And that to me is the biggest thing because I love getting press quotes because, you know, they'll make people check out the band if they see somebody, you know, uh, important said something, you know, about us. But, uh, but the big compliment really comes from watching the music connect to people as listeners and as dancers and having it like make their lives better, essentially. You mentioned in the email, the the first email that we had a number of email exchanges, that you Mm -hmm. were doing this project with Connell Fawkes. Yeah. And he's Uh, he's somebody that I've noticed in New York City. It seems like almost every interview I've done with musicians there, they all know Connell Fawkes. Everybody knows Connell. You know, this was our first project uh, working together. I, we would, uh, had known who each other were for a while since I moved to the city. But yeah, we did this Eddie Lang, uh, Joe Venu, the Eddie Lang project with, uh, with Andy Stein on uh, violin, who's uh, Andy is uh, in, you know, Vince Giordano's Nighthawks, great violin player, he used to play on Prairie Home Companion. And uh, so he and Connell and I and Jay Ratman, who is, um, you know, a multi-read virtuoso here in New York, also plays uh, lead alto in my big band. Uh, and he played alto and Barry and, and clarinet for this uh, as well. So we recreated some of that music of the, the Joe Venuti Eddie Lang Blue 4, uh, which was their, uh, you know, recording ensemble in the, the late 20s. And some of those arrangements are just absolutely unbelievable. So we did some of their arrangements. Um, we did a few just sort of pickup tunes in the style that they would have played in. Uh, we did a few arrangements that I wrote 
uh you know in the uh in the kind of style of their group and uh yeah we did we did uh four or five concerts kind of all around uh, the tri-state area uh and it was it was really it was a great concert it was a lot of fun very challenging music but very capable people to take on challenging music with what do you find new york new york city is like as someone who lives there well it's sort of it's inspiring in a lot of ways because i feel like Everybody that you meet here, not everybody, but but a lot of the people that you meet here have a thing. They have a thing that they're really good at, that they're striving for, that they're trying to create uh, in their life, in their business, um, in their in the world. And so there's, it's just like a heck of a lot of really motivated people. And that inspires you to be motivated, not only because, you know, if you're not, you kind of get left behind. But just seeing that and being around that and being around other creative people, being around some of the best musicians in the world um, and, and getting to play with them and learning from each other. And, you know, it's, it's really very inspiring as an artist, you know, there's always the downsides, you know, the MTA is a drag and uh, you know, the sort of normal life things that just come with living in a big city, but all in all, man, I, I couldn't complain, you know, it's, it's pretty fantastic. For someone who is maybe visiting New York city, someone from out of town, mm -hmm. what would the Glenn Kreitzer recommendation be for a place to check out music and a place to eat? Oh, boy. Okay. Well, obviously, the place to check out music is to come see me, you know, wherever I'm playing when you're in town. But uh, but other other stuff would, that would be great to check out, um, there's a really cool jam session uh, late on Tuesday nights. So if you're here uh, in town, go see uh, – it's, it's a place called Mona's Bar. It's a little hole in the wall in the East Village. And uh, it's a lot of great – Vintage jazz musicians go there after their other gigs on Tuesday or, you know, if, they, or if they're off or whatever, they just go and it starts at about 11 at night and goes till three in the morning. And, uh, you know, some weeks, like a lot of really incredible players show up. Some weeks it's a little thinner, but the house band is always great. It's led by, um, actually the, uh, one of the reed men in, in my orchestra is the leads that. And, uh, so yeah, I, I highly recommend that. If you're in town and we're not playing the night that you're in town, definitely always check out Mona's place to eat is man. That's just like New York is so full of really good places to eat. It's really, really, really hard to pick one. Hmm. <laughs> I guess it depends on what you're in the mood for. You know, there's like a, a really great Korean neighborhood uh, here in New York where you can get a lot of good Korean barbecue, which I like to go for. You know, there's all the great pizza places. I, I guess if you come to New York, the quintessential thing to do is to get like a really good slice of pizza, you know, like go to John's or something like that and, and get a really good slice. So if I had to pick something, I would say go get a really good slice at like at John's or one of the other really like, you know, well-known New York pizza or Arturo's, which is not really New York pizza, but it's a cool, really good uh, pizza yeah, I don't know. That's hard, man. It's this. This city is is a culinary wonderland, you know. <laughs> you were mentioning a, a moment ago people going out to see you at one of your shows. Sure. What would the best case scenario be for someone who comes out and sees you sing? That they what mm -hmm. they would get out of it. Well, I mean, you know, I guess it depends if you're a listener or a dancer. If you're a dancer, I hope that you're going to 
just dance your butt off all night and just just leave a you know just leave in a puddle of sweat and just be really just have been so into it and just just feeling that music in your gut. If you're a listener, I hope that the music connects with you, you know, on both an intellectual and an emotional level. I mean, I like to write a lot of puns in my lyrics and but obviously I write a lot of instrumentals too and you know, the hope is that you get that same feeling as a listener in your gut that the dancers get when they when they feel something that they really want to dance to. What is the best thing about being Glenn Kreitzer? <laughs> wow, what a question. Um I you know, I guess it's that I've managed to find a way to do this really weird bizarre thing for a living. I think that's pretty cool. You know, there's always people that they're going to tell you you can't do a thing. They're like, "You want to do what? Well, nobody does that. No who what that's impossible." And and you go if you have the vision to go, "Nope, it's possible. I can find a way to do it." You know, you you can. And so I think that's probably the the best thing is is just knowing that I get to get up every day and whether it's hard that day or whether it's fun that day, I'm putting the effort into something that I really love and care about and passionate about. All the listeners out there, they can visit you online. It's glennkreitzer.com. Glenn with two N's, C-R-Y-T-Z-E-R. And I'm hoping that you can maybe play another song to kind of send our listeners on their way. Oh, sure, I could do that. One second, let me. Uh... I think I'm going to play play an old one for you here to take take you out. Though my position is of low degree, and all the others may look down on me. I'll come smiling through That's if I have you I am the happiest of troubadours Thinking about you while massaging floors In my leisure time I made up this rhyme I will be the oil mop If you'll be the oil then we both can mingle Every time we toil We toil, we toil I will be the washboard Baby, if you'll be the tub Think of all the Mondays We could rub a dub, rub a dub, rub a dub Now I will be your shoe brush, baby If you can it be my shoe then I keep you bright, dear, looking good as new. If you'll be the razor, honey, I will be the blade. Oh, that's a poor love song to a chambermaid.
I will be your shoe brush, baby. If you'll kindly be my shoe, then I'll keep you bright, dear, looking good as new. If you'll be the razor, oh, honey, I will be the blade, be the blade. That's a porter's love song to a chambermaid. Thank you. <laughs> Glenn, you leave them smiling. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> I like that. That was great. Yeah, that's a good old, old, good old song. Fats made that one famous. So I always like to end the interviews. I just let the guest take the stage. Very open-ended, completely. Mm-hmm. It's up to you. What would you say to anyone who's listening in? Well... I would say, um, you know, if I, I think I kind of said part of it earlier, but I think, you know, if there's a thing that you believe in, that you want to do, that you want to make, that you want to create, find a way to do it because life is too short not to do that. And there's always going to be a way. It's always going to be hard. It's always going to be harder than than not doing it. But there's something incredibly satisfying about Doing something that you really love, even if it's bizarre and weird and nobody gets why you want to make that thing. If you believe you can make it and get people into it, go for it and don't worry about the obstacles. Just look at the obstacles as the path. Well spoken. Thanks. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. All right, folks. Again, that's glennkreitzer.com. Until next time. The Paul Leslie Hour is hosted, produced, and written by Paul Leslie for Lifestyles Entertainment. For information, visit thepaulleslie.com. Thank you for being with us. Until next time. <laughs>